a couple years ago, I got to go to Salt Lake City and go snowboarding. Um, and if you've ever been, like, to Utah snowboarding, it's, it's the best, okay? I've never seen anything like it. But anyways, we're in Salt Lake City, and uh, the only thing I ever knew about Salt Lake City were some of the craziness revolving around the Mormon influence in the community. It's, you know, it used to be, before the Olympics, it was heavily Mormon, like, like huge percentage. Now it's changed a little bit, but a lot of these uh, laws are still in place that these, these Mormons put in, in place, and it was really, it was interesting. So one night, uh, we decide we're going to go to the Outback, uh, go to the Outback Steakhouse, and I knew that there were particular rules on drinking, and so I was wondering what it was going to be like to go to the Outback, because every Outback I've ever been in has a bar. As soon as you walk in, there's a, there's a bar that you wait at to, you know, to wait for your table. So I walk in, and sure enough, there's a bar, um, and there's people at the bar sitting, drinking, but there's no, there's no signs, like there's no Budweiser neon signs. You can't see the taps. There's a bartender, but you never see the bartender make a drink, okay? And so what happens is you, you can go up to the bar. These, these are the, the rules. So you can go up to the bar and order a drink, um, you can order one drink if it's, no matter what, it, you have to be eating there too. You have to be eating at the restaurant to be able to go order a drink because otherwise it's not a restaurant, it's a bar. And if it's a bar, well, technically you can't legally have a bar in Salt Lake, but you can have a private club that serves alcohol. So the bars are actually private clubs that you pay a membership fee, join the club, and now you can have a drink at the bar. But anyways, this is a restaurant. Totally different. Totally different set of rules. You just have to eat. As long as you're going to eat, you can order a drink. One drink. Can't have more than one drink. And if it's a hard alcohol drink, they have a special meter to make sure that when they, when they put the alcohol in the drink, that not more than one ounce of hard liquor goes into the drink because they want to make sure you know, that it's not more than the, the government-provided amount that you're allowed to have. And again, you can't see them actually make your drink. Because that's against the law. So what happens is you order, and then they'll disappear into the back, and then they'll reappear and pop, poop, there goes your, your, your drink. It's in front of you. But you don't know how, it, I don't know how poop came out. <laughs> so you get your drink. You didn't see them make the drink. You can only have one drink, and you can't walk around with your drink. So, like, let's say you want to stand up and go talk to somebody else. You can't. You've got to stay with your drink sitting. So this poses a problem when your table's ready, because when your table's ready, you can't take your drink to your table. The server has to get your drink and bring it over to your table. So there's all these different crazy rules at Outback, right? No rules. Just right. At the Outback, they must have hated that. You know they hated that. Okay, so this is all, this is all at, at, at the Outback. But what, what happens is I was sitting there thinking about, you know, they started off with this, this great high moral principle of saying, you know what, as, as Mormons, we want people to be more like God. We want them to be moral people. And one of the things that we believe is that, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't drink alcohol. And so they start with, with, that, with that principle, and, and, it, and it sounds, you know, like a, like a good thing for them. No matter where you stand on drinking, you're for it, you're against it, you've got to respect them for, for having that belief of saying, you know what, this is something that's important to us of remaining pure and all that. But, but what happened was it turned into all of these rules, these crazy rules that, that it was impossible to even follow. So I was actually I was looking up on the Internet to try and figure out, like, like what all the rules were um, b- before this morning. I wanted to make sure, because I wasn't really sure what was going on. So I was, I was Googling around, and I was expecting to find, like, government websites that actually explain these are the rules. But instead, what I found were all these party websites that explained how to get around 
all of the rules. And they actually referred to some of the rules I thought was really interesting. They referred to some of the rules as chug laws. Chug laws. Like the one drink at a time they referred to as a chug law because what would happen is because of that law, whenever you saw a waitress, you would chug because you, you, you don't know when she's going to come back and you can only order one drink at a time. So that's, a, that's one of the chug laws. Uh, there, were, there were other things related to like you can't bar hop. Uh, it's against you know, our private club because, yeah, well, anyways, you, so you're going to stay in one club. So they called it a chug law because what happened is you were more likely to stay in one club and drink rather than, you know, actually take the time to go from one place to the other. They had a, uh, have a one o'clock uh, time limit on when they'll serve alcohol in a restaurant. It's like 12, or one o'clock in a bar, 12 o'clock in a restaurant. So they've called that a chug law. They're like, yeah, make sure you start chugging at about 11 because at 12 they're going to cut you off. And I thought it was really interesting because it was the exact opposite effect of this great moral principle that they started with. Of This is what we want to accomplish. We want people to be more moral, and part of that is we, we want people to, to stop drinking. And instead, what happens is that that law, all the laws that they put into place were powerless to accomplish what they wanted, this great ideal that they had. And I was sitting there thinking, like, I wonder what Christians would do. Like, if Christians were in that kind of power, we'd probably fall into the same kind of, like, if we tried to actually pass rules to accomplish everything that we believe, all of our high moral principles, we would be very similar if we just legislated and passed laws to try and accomplish these high moral principles. But it's not unlike what Jesus encountered. It's not unlike uh, the people that Jesus encountered when he, when he ran into the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they get a bad rap, okay? They get a bad rap. Believe me on this, okay? They actually have a good goal, right? The Pharisees, the word actually comes from, from very similar to the word for becoming holy, being set apart, They wanted to set themselves apart and do what is right before God. They wanted to be righteous people. That was the the goal of the Pharisees. In the Old Testament, they would have been our heroes. They would have been the ones that are looking for for God to, to, to bring his righteousness, to actually follow his commands. But what happened was it got to the point where they were making up all these little rules, like you can have your drink, but you can't walk with your drink, and it's got to be an ounce. And they came up with all these little rules to try and accomplish these great principles that God had. And so we're going to read this morning this encounter that Jesus has with the Pharisees. It starts, it's in Luke eleven thirty-seven through 45. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. I think this is, I think this is important just because the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. In other words, they wanted to be around Jesus. There were things in Jesus that they recognized. The Pharisees wanted righteousness, but they were going about it a totally different way than the way that Jesus was teaching it. Remember Nicodemus, Pharisee, and he goes to see Jesus to find out about this righteousness that Jesus is preaching because it's different somehow. Okay, so they invited him to eat. And so he went in and he reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. So you can tell already, it's not just that Jesus was dirty, it was that he didn't ceremonially wash, that he didn't perform a little ritual when he cleaned himself, when he washed his hands. And so right away, he's looking at these little rules and saying, oh man, is this guy really righteous? He's not doing these things. Then the Lord said to him, now then you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? 
pointing out to them, look, right now, you're looking at the outside. You're looking at the fact that I didn't do your little dance with the soap. But you're not paying attention to the inside. You guys are so focused on these things on the outside, you forget the moral principles that we started with. You forget what was really important. And you forget that God, the righteousness that we're trying to achieve, God created the outside of us as well as the inside. He wants us not just clean on the outside. He wants us clean on the inside. And you're filled with with greed and all, all these things that fly in the face of what we believe about God. This is Jesus talking to them. But give what is inside the dish to the poor and everything will be clean for you. But give what is inside you. Give what God has given you. And in the, 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 the scripture there is talking about like charity, giving to the poor, giving to those that are in need. Giving, you have something to give that God's given you. Why aren't you giving it to them? Why are you holding it back? You're throwing up these rules and you're actually getting in the way of what we're trying to accomplish as God's people, as members of God's kingdom. Woe to you Pharisees because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. In other words, you guys are tithing. Good. You got that principle down. But in the process, you're neglecting what the tithe is for. The tithe was a way to bring money to God's people so that they could go out and they could, they could represent the kingdom of God. They could go out and they could advance justice and they could go out and advance righteousness that comes from God. That was the principle of the tithe. And he's like, you guys are neglecting that. It's good that you're giving the money, but you're, you're not connecting the dots. You should have done the one without letting the other one go. So it, when I think about that, I, I can't help but think about the marriage relationship. Okay, if I were to come home to Kit, to my wife, and be like, here, honey, you got you some flowers. Uh, I had to. I'm your husband. You know what I mean? Like, okay, thanks, honey. I love you, too. You see what I mean? Should I give flowers to my wife? Yeah, I should give flowers to my wife, but not because I have to. And I sh- certainly shouldn't make a big deal about it. Yeah, I have to do this. So here you go. But that's kind of like the tithe was back then. It was like, hey, look at me. I'm a Pharisee. I tithe a 10% of my mint. Mint, money, I don't know. So that's what they're doing, and they're, they're drawing attention to themselves, and, and, and they're missing the point. Jesus is like, what's the tithe for? It's an expression of your love, your desire to see the kingdom of God advance, but you've lost that, and now you're just throwing roses at your wife, you know? Okay, sorry about that. Uh, what do you, Pharisee? You should have practiced. I think that's an important scripture. You, had a, you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. And, Ailey, you're going to talk about that tonight, right? No, you're not. No, totally different. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you because you're so into yourselves and, and having people recognize the things that you're doing for God. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. You're like unmarked graves. The idea here being that an unmarked... What's more unclean than a dead body? Especially for the Jews, like an unclean body is pretty much the most unclean thing you can think of. So what they would do is they would mark the tombs to make sure that nobody ever came in contact with even the dirt that was above a grave of a dead person. And he's saying, you guys are like an unmarked grave. People are coming in contact with you all the time, and they don't even see all of the, the decay underneath the ground. You're like an unmarked grave. And, and you actually corrupt the people that come in contact with you. So this is... This is a harsh conflict that we see Jesus coming across with these Pharisees. So the question that we have for this morning is, well, what does this have to do with with us as River City Church? How does this scripture 
filter into our lives? What is, what is God trying to say to us this morning about our lives, about Jesus' message for us? And so I think there's, there's two things. And the first, the first thing is to, to remember the message of Jesus. Remember the, the most important thing, really, I believe, that Jesus was preaching was a message of grace. It was absolutely distinctive, not just in the history of, of Judeo-Christianism, but in, in the history of the world, grace is the distinctive factor of Christianity that, no, it's all about God. Grace is, it's all unmerited favor from him. The only thing good that you have, you got from God. And you can't do it on your own. Whereas the Pharisees, they would say, oh, wait a minute. It's all about me and my ability to live up to the law. If I could just, man, I need to be more righteous in this area. Here's 10 more rules I can come up with to help me do that. Me, me, me. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, you guys are missing the point. You're not even accomplishing the righteousness that you think that you have, that you go around espousing. You're not, you're not even achieve, achieving that. The only righteousness you can receive is a gift from God. The only way you could be righteous is if God himself made you righteous. That was the message of Jesus. It's a message of grace. They believed that their relationship to God, their degree of experiencing God, their ability to, to, to become like him rested solely on themselves, not on God working through them. Jesus came mightily against that message. Paul sums it up well in Ephesians 2.9, where he says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I'm not making this up. This isn't River City Church. This is Christianity. This is the message of Jesus. It is a message of grace that says that you cannot achieve a righteousness on your own. Righteousness is a good thing. Righteousness is a good thing. They agreed, the Pharisees and Jesus, they agreed that righteousness is a good thing. Being holy, becoming more and more like God, living out the kingdom of God is a good thing. What they disagreed with was whether or not it could come from yourself or whether or not it had to come from God. And Jesus said, no, the only way that you could live a righteous life is by by actually submitting yourself to God and having him work through you. That's powerful. I read a, um, when I was putting this together, there, there are actual Pharisees today. Did you know that? I didn't know that. There's, there's actual Pharisees. And so there's a book out called uh, The Christian and the Pharisee. And it's this uh, Christian minister and, and this uh, Jewish Pharisee having a conversation and talking about what they believe. And again, on the outside, it sounds great. It starts off with uh, the, the pastor is basically asking him, you know, you, you think Pharisees are a good thing. Tell me why. And he's like, well, Pharisee's a good Jew. He said, a Pharisee is somebody who lives up to the law, somebody who's trying to live up to the law. And, he, you know, he asked the point, well, you know, we as Christians, we believe you can't, that the only way you're going to live up to the law is if God works through you. The only righteousness we can receive is a gift, something you can't earn at all. It's all about putting your faith in Jesus. And his response to that is, yeah, that I can't comprehend. I, I, that, that just doesn't, I, it, I can't follow that. And that, that's the conflict. That's the conflict that we need to be focused on as Christians. Well, the message of Christianity is a message of grace. It's not a message of you have to do this and you have to do that. It's a message of letting God work through you, of the work that he's already accomplished for us. So I think one thing that God wants us to receive this morning 
<laughs> Wait, I have to tell you. So, okay, if you think you're righteous, if you think you're righteous, you're not by the fact that you think you're righteous. Does that make sense? All right? It's like I heard a story. If you from the first service, like, I heard a story about a guy who won an award for being humble. And they gave him a button. But as soon as he put the button on, they took it away. I'm waiting for it. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure. The first service, it wasn't clear whether or not I should do it in the second, but I figured I'd throw it. No? No? Okay. But the whole idea is if you think you've attained a righteousness, then by definition you haven't. Okay? Just like humility. Ed New said that he's writing a book, uh, Humility and How I Attained It. So... Okay, so the first, the first thing that I think we want to take away this morning from that scripture is that Jesus preached the righteousness that comes as a gift from God. The only righteousness we can achieve is through faith in him. The second thing that I think we want to take away from this is this warning that he gives where he talks about, um, you know, you're, you're like unmarked graves. And he's telling them, and, and even further on at the end of that chapter, he talks about how you guys have been given the keys. You have been given the very words of God. You are, are his representatives, and you're getting in the way. You're getting in the way of the very things that makes God, God. And so for us, what do we take away from that is to, is to be weary of doing that. We shouldn't be the ones to get in the way of the message, to get in the way of, of, of grace, that we need to represent Christ well, that we need to be the ones that don't, as Jesus says, he says to the Pharisees, you shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You're the ones shutting the door, making it impossible. We need to be the ones attracting them, actually bringing them in. I think about what people would say about Christians, and they know all the things that Christians are against, but they don't know what we're for. They, they don't know that we are for justice and mercy, and we are for, for the broken people finding what they've always wanted in Christ. But they know what we're, we're against. They know all the, the list of immorality things that we, that we have. So we need to be careful that we recognize, as Jesus is saying, you know, the message that he brings is one that should bring rest for the weary. In Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is in direct contrast to what was being taught by the Pharisees. Because what they were saying was, come to me all you who are weary and I'll give you a new set of rules. Come to me all you who are weary and I'll break it down for you of how you can become more righteous. All you have to do is follow this 25-step plan to better holiness. You know, they had it all this way and Jesus came up to oppose that and to say, come to me all you who are weary. You've tried it all. You've tried it on your own efforts. Come to me and find out how God can actually work through you. You can attain a righteousness. Blessed are you who, who have thirsted for righteousness because in me you will find that righteousness. It will be given to you as a gift, not of your own effort, but by faith. That's the message that we need to represent. When I was, when I was looking around, some of the websites I went to, you would not, I can't repeat some of the things that they said about the Mormons. Okay? That's how bad it was. Why? Because they associated all these rules with Mormons. So they hated the Mormons because they hated these drinking rules. We can't afford that as Christians. We don't want people to hate Christ because of rules that we're making up. We want them to love Christ, come to find out what true righteousness is about. 
That's what we as River City Church, we as the church, we as members of Christ's body, that's another part of the message I believe that we have for this morning. So hopefully those, those two things I think that God is speaking to us, this, this idea of recognizing the new kind of righteousness that Jesus preached, one that comes by faith, and that the message is for everyone, and that we shouldn't get in the way. Let's go ahead and just stand and ask God to, to come and speak to us. Ask that the Holy Spirit would change us.